The Word of God this morning, Acts 24. We're making our way through. We're almost done. (laughs) It's been forever, but praise the Lord. The book of Acts. Paul is on trial. He went to Jerusalem. The Jews didn't want him there. He was taken by a Roman commander. The Jews were going to kill him. There was 40 who took an oath to destroy him. The commander heard of it. Through Paul's nephew, he was taken to Caesarea on horse safely. And there he is before the Roman official Felix. What happens is Felix calls for a trial, so the Jews from Jerusalem come and they bring forth their case against Paul in Acts chapter 24. Paul is being persecuted. It's very clear. Paul is being accused of something he didn't do. Paul is on trial. Paul, in human standards, is in a lot of trouble. And you read this chapter and you see the case being brought before this Judge Felix. And it's quite interesting and there's some things to pull out of here. And there's things I just wanted us to learn What do we do when we're falsely accused or persecuted for doing the right thing? Has that ever happened to anyone? I'm not talking necessarily a trial of um, a magnitude of things, but specifically a trial of false accusation or persecution. And maybe personally... We haven't faced that, but corporately we're heading in a direction like that in our country. We prayed for our country, right? It is going to become harder and harder to stand up for specific truth in our country. That's just the way it's going. Now, you might have seen um, some of our Chinese exchange students. It's actually their last Sunday, and last Sunday Joshua's mother, Anna, was here, and she's the principal of her school, and her, her husband is the pastor of a church In China. So we get to spend the day with her, and I asked her some questions. And she said, The government in China is in every facet of our life, period. In the past, from telling us how many kids we could have, to knowing our finances, to knowing everything about us, they know everything. And so when we're doing the school, she just said, We're trying to teach our kids to think for themselves. But if we choose to send them to private school, it's basically not legal, but you don't get a student number, so you can forget about ever going to any Chinese education again, because they won't give you a number. So they're thinking, we're sending our fourth graders over here because we're going to be sending them for high school out of here, because they're not allowed to go to high school here, because they don't have a number. And so this whole trip is just for them to prepare to the reality that we want them out. Wow, that's a big step you're taking. She's like, we don't want our kids brainwashed. We want them to know the truth. So we talked about control and government control, and I guess there was a new law in China February 1st, and she was quite, I wouldn't say stressed or anxious, but concerned about that. What would it mean for her little school? They already moved building to building. The government tells the people who are renting to them that they shouldn't do it. So it's a constant journey of that. She asked me a little bit about our walk with the Lord. I started talking to her about our country, 
and some of the things that are happening in our education system, in our government. And you might think you're free as a bird, but the reality is slowly things are being crunched a bit to what is being taught our children, to what we're expected of, to what the agenda is. And if we believe against that agenda, we're kind of, we're weird, right? Yeah, we are definitely weird. And so persecution we see coming. And you know what Anna said to me? Oh, you guys have control here too. She said, it's just different. It's just different. Now think about that. It's just different. And I'm not saying obviously we have more freedom here, but there is coming a time when we stand up for what we think is right, that we're going to be seen as fanatics. And I think it's going to get crunched over time a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more and more. And I thought of this because Paul, what did Paul do? He didn't do anything but stand up for what he thought was right in teaching the truth or giving an offering to some Jews in Jerusalem. And they saw him and they were angry and he's on trial. And they bring forth all these false accusations. It says in verse 5 of chapter 24, we have found this man a plague a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him, and we wanted to judge him according to our law. Like, can you imagine? Paul is only trying to help them, to love them, to care for them. And what is he called? He's called a plague. This kid's a plague. This guy's a plague, man. And what has he done? Nothing but try and tell them about Jesus. And they assemble together and they're so angry. They bring forth all these witnesses and these false accusations and none of them, absolutely none of them make any sense. Then verse 10, then Paul, after the governor had nodded him to speak, answered insomuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of the nation. I do the more cheerfully answer for myself because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days ago since I went to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things which they accuse me. Verse 14, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect. So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all the things which are written in the law and the prophets. And I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and for the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a good conscience without offense towards God and man." He goes on then to tell what happened when he went to Jerusalem as he was giving alms and how the situation shook down. And then Felix, the judge, knowing he did nothing wrong, procrastinates to do the Jews a favor and keeps him in jail for two years until Festus arrives on the scene. Can you imagine? He did nothing Nothing wrong, right? And yet he's accused and kept in jail. And corporately and maybe internationally, we see some of that. But even point to your life in maybe ways 
with people and relationships, maybe with family, that you feel like you're on trial because you believe in Jesus Christ. I have heard of stories of people who have become Christians who go to the dinner table where people will not even eat with them. If they attempt to say grace, good night. It's over. Yeah, I've heard real stories, and I've had to counsel those people and simply tell them, it's not you they're upset at. It's Jesus in you they're upset at. Well, how could that happen in a free society like ours, that someone would become a Christian and their families would persecute them and chastise them? Isn't that like stories we hear of GR and escaping for Iraq? But would that ever happen in Canada, that a family would be so angry and even treat you differently because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It does happen. A lot. And some of us are sheltered from that because we've come from Christian families. But maybe even at work, you're treated differently. Maybe on the street, if someone finds out you're a Christian, you're going to get the, the story of how another Christian had hurt them or done something. And they treat you in a different way can be really personal and in the big picture things are changing when we are being accused of things and I just thought what did Paul say what did he do how can we be helped in regards to this do you know it says in 1st Timothy 3 12 yes all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution I looked at that verse you know what was crazy it didn't even say you were living a godly life. <laughs> Did you read that? It says all who just desire to live a godly life. You might be living like the devil, but want to live right, and you're still persecuted. Nowhere here does it say you are living a godly life. It says if you desire to live a godly life, if you desire to say, hey, that's not right. I'm not going to sign that. Can I actually work here? You can't work here. You can't take government money. Hey, if you're going to hold that principle, we're going to give you no grants whatsoever and actually be persecuted. Oh yeah, it just happened, didn't it? It's even for those who just desire to do the right thing in God's eyes that they will suffer persecution. 1 Peter, if you'll turn there with me to chapter 3, just saw a great parallel, and we'll just go through it really quickly, of things we can learn this morning as things change. And maybe as you'll face this in your family or in the workplace, just to get practical or even at school, if you're attending different schools and things are taught that you don't believe in and maybe you'll be treated differently, how do we respond? First Peter, looks like I got a little glue in my Bible, chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 13. And we'll learn a few things here. Finally, or excuse me, verse 13. The heading in my Bible is suffering for right and wrong. Verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, 
those who refile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So you're doing the right thing. Possibly going to suffer. There's just a couple things right off the bat I want you to know that it becomes easy to fall in a trap of. Who is it will harm you when you become a follower of good? What's your first thought? Who's it who's going to harm you? Satan, right? Here's the problem. When people um, persecute us, slander us, cause difficulty in our life, our first thought is they are the enemy. You ever thought that? When someone hurts you or persecutes you, what's your first thought? Well, the mature one who said, well, that's Satan. Good for you. But my thought is, I can't believe they did that to me. What about you? I can't believe the government. Anyone here got ever get mad at the government? I can't believe the government. What are they thinking? What are the laws in this country? They're absolutely crazy. The government. My teacher is... Like, what, what do they believe? And now they're putting it on me and that my... My sister, or whatever, my brother, my cousin, like, where's the hate coming from? I can't believe them. And we get into this trap, then it becomes them against us. But can I tell you, who is it he who's causing you harm? It is Satan who's causing the harm, who's infiltrating the minds of people. And we get ourselves in a very difficult position when then we return persecution, slander, and hate with our own bitterness in response when Satan's up there just laughing the whole time. <laughs> look, look at those Christians getting just so angry. And then doing silly things. Our enemy is not people, it is the devil. And we have to understand that when we're persecuted, or we can never reach those people with the love of Christ. Does God love our government officials who believe differently than us? Does God love our family when they persecute us? Does God love our co-workers when they attack us? Does God love those people? Yes, and He wants them to come to know Him. But in our response, if we don't understand it's the devil, we put our anger on people and we fight them instead of Him. It's, it's really interesting because often we're looking at our own pain and we're looking at ourselves, and we're looking at our suffering, and we don't see the pain of others. Because they're responding because of pain in their life, and the devil gets them to think a certain way in anger, or this is right, and this is what I have to fight for, and then they persecute. But if we would understand that they are going through torment, which is causing them to do these things which just aren't right. And what do a lot of people with the alternative agenda think? Christians hate us. That's what they think. Do you know that? They hate us. But the reality is, we need to hate sin and the devil and not people. We need to love people. We need to give the gospel to people. Even when they hurt us. Amen? Because that'll be the difference. Because over the years, the church has just answered in anger not knowing the true enemy and this spirit of bitterness is reigning when God wants to reign and change lives 
Who is it he who is our enemy when we do good? We know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan's desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you don't believe he exists or is infiltrating the thoughts of people and society, you need to open your eyes. And what God wants us to do is to fight against the devil, to wrestle with the armor of God, to know to fight these things. We need to use heavenly weapons and not fleshly weapons. Because he says in 2 Corinthians 10, if you want to fight according to your flesh and your intellect and go get them in battle, you're going to get nowhere. Flesh cannot defeat spiritual. Only spiritual can defeat spiritual. And that's why we know prayer and truth is victory and not arguing. And that's what we end up doing. We have spiritual weapons. We need to use them. We need to know who our enemy truly is. You know, to Paul, his enemy wasn't Felix. It wasn't Festus. Hey, it wasn't even the Jews. He loved them. And he would give his own life for the ones that were persecuting him. He said, I will go to hell that they would come to know Jesus. In the book of Romans. Secondly, as the verse goes on, who is a he? But even if you should suffer. By the way, the Bible never says you're not going to suffer. We talked about it. You are going to suffer. But he says, do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. Hey, you can lose your job. Hey, you can lose this. Hey, we're going to go after you. <laughs> hey, that's my response. I don't know what yours would be. I think I'm all tough until someone gets mad at me. And I'm like, like Really? <laughs> It's true. I can talk a mean game, but the reality is fear is a huge thing in our lives. Fear of losing comfort, fear of difficulty, fear of suffering. But here the Word of God says in the midst of persecution, Peter saying, and Paul lived it out, basically, I will not be afraid. I will be persecuted, but I will not be afraid. I will not fear. Let fear crumble me. Whether that is jail or difficulty or whatever it is in your life, I will not let fear and threats destroy me. Matthew 5. Why? Blessed are the persecuted. Hey, come at me. Come on. I just remember the apostles in the book of Acts. Woo! We got whipped. Praise the Lord. We got to suffer like Jesus. Is that your attitude? Not mine. Oh, they're accusing me. Oh, man. Do not be afraid. Isaiah 54, 17, probably a verse you know well. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And I love the second part of it, which we failed to read. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you, meaning God, capital Y, will condemn. We can take that to the bank. If not here in heaven, God is going to judge. Amen. 
Sometimes we get defined in our small world, but when we're suffering persecution or people getting angry at us for doing right, we have to understand that in the end, God will bring victory. Satan, if he is our enemy, the reality is in Romans 16.20, you know what it says? And the God of peace, I love this, you should understand this, will crush That means absolutely destroy, stomp on, crush Satan under whose feet? Yeah, you know your Bible. Under our feet. Listen to that. God is going to crush Satan, not under his foot, under your foot. You have victory because of Jesus Christ. That's His promise. If Satan's our enemy, his destination is the lake of fire. But even before then, if you trust the Lord, you will understand that He, through you, will crush Satan. And you don't have to be afraid. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. Listen to me. We live in fear. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. Listen to me. Faith crushes fear and in my life fear is a reality i have to deal with every day and you might not think it is in yours but i bet if we dug a little deeper there's a little bit of fear of something in your life but god is saying trust me your enemy will be crushed and even promised it in the beginning in genesis chapter 3 he's going to nip at your heel but you're going to stomp on him do you believe it especially when it doesn't look like it Especially when you're being challenged and persecuted and things are difficult. Well, that's what we need to know, but what do we do? Verse 15, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. What does sanctify mean? Set apart the Lord God in your heart. In the midst of trial, set Him apart. Don't go away from Him. Separate Jesus in the core of your being. Whenever Scripture talks about your heart, it is exactly who you are, everything about you. So in the midst of who I am, I'm not going to give God one compartment, one window. I'm going to give Him all the windows of my life. I'm going to set Him apart when things are difficult. I'm not going to run away from Him. I'm going to come to Him because I know Jesus loves me and I know the truth. Hey, when you're persecuted, my first thought, God, you are everything. That's what he's saying here. When you're in difficult situation, set apart God. And then, I love this, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We talked about stop thinking about yourself and realize you have an amazing opportunity. You know what non-Christians say when you're persecuted and you don't get bitter and you don't yell back and you don't do silly things? You know what they say? What is up with you? Well, let me tell you, I have this great hope. I'm ready! (laughs) Are you ready? Are you ready to tell people about your great hope of eternity of Jesus? How can you go through this? I can't believe this is happening to you. 
Whether that's a trial that's difficult or a trial that's personal where someone's accusing you and defaming you. How can you go through this? Well, let me tell you, it is Jesus Christ and my hope for eternity and I can't wait to be with Him. And He said, if I'm persecuted, I'll be blessed. And that's my hope. It goes beyond this world. And let me tell you, this is not easy. It sounds good on a Sunday with the microphone. But come Tuesday morning, because Monday goes all right, and Tuesday, someone looks at your work like, you blow it again, you goof! Or you can't do that, or you can't say that. What do you do? I have a great opportunity to reveal Jesus Christ to the people that hate me. And God can work that to save them. Is that my heart, your heart? Are you ready? We heard one ready, but are you ready to truly give the reason and the hope you have for why you're going through this? Because if you don't know why you're going through it, you're going to walk away from Jesus Christ. But if you know Him and love Him, you're going to want to walk right into it. I love how it says with meekness, and gentleness. Do you know when you talk to people, would you have a little respect for people who don't think the same thing as you? Sometimes as Christians, we're so bad. I can't believe you. Like, what, what are you thinking? Like, ah! Meekness. That is power under control. That I'm going to respect you no matter what you believe, but I'm going to be ready to share with you. And I look at Paul and how he treats Felix and Festus. He never gets mad at them. Hey, you guys are doing a great job. Let me tell you about God. What they're saying is wrong, but here's my hope. I'm a part of the way, and Christ is coming back, and I'm going to be resurrected, and what they're saying is true. And then he gets with Felix, and he's like, let me tell you my story. They might think I'm crazy, but man, I persecuted Christians just like them and I was going to Damascus and this light hit me and I heard these voices and it changed my life and it was Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? And I went to see this guy and Ananias and he took the scales on my, off my eyes and I saw, can you see Festus? What happened? Really? Yeah, you're not going to believe it. Hey, you got a story. Don't you have a story? What is your hope in? I was a sinner and God saved me. What is your story? By the way, let me talk to you about witnessing just for one minute. Don't get into theological this and that because people will argue with you night and day over and over, but they can't argue with the changed life. They can't argue with the testimony that says, I was an idiot and I still am an idiot. But God, His light, I knew I was forgiven. Why is it when we're believers, like the first few months, we'll tell anyone. The second year, we're like, I'm a Christian. I go to church and I have a God base. (laughs) Who cares about church, by the way, when you witness? Please don't mention church. That's how I used to witness. Well, yes, I'm the pastor of Northgate. (laughs) It's a nice church. We teach the Bible. And you don't have to wear a suit. You can if you want. You can wear jeans. It's really nice. You come check it out. What have I said about Jesus? And it's nice to invite them. Praise the Lord. Please do invite them. But Northgate doesn't change lives. Jesus changed lives. And Jesus changed your life. And that's your story. Don't be afraid to tell people.
The fear. The fear. What is the fear? What are you afraid of? Well, I'll be persecuted. That's what this sermon is about. Don't be afraid, but tell your story. Well, only if you can meet this evangelist at that church, he could tell you all about Jesus. Oh, man, let's set up an appointment. Let's go for breakfast. Just you guys take it. You can tell them what God did in your life because that'll be more powerful than anything else. You have a story. It's called the Jesus story. He died for you and he set you free. And that's what Paul, yeah, well, I didn't do that. But let me tell you what they did say. I am a part of the way. That's what they called them before Christians. Basically saying, I am a Christian and I'm going to be with Jesus. And that's true. Are you ready to tell them your story? That's what persecution will bring you opportunity to do. You know, we say, oh, we want to talk about Jesus. We want to tell people about Jesus. Well, we don't want persecution. You can't have one with the other sometimes. Because opportunities come from lives that are changed in difficulty. Finally, told our story, we're called to be salt and light in the world. Amen? By the way, I'm trying to tell the youth group every week, we're called to be light because the world is dark. (laughs) That's the reality. Your world is dark, right? It's not light. That's why you're called to be light. But then there's one thing that's really important. He says, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Okay, yeah, it's all it's Jesus does the work, but then Paul, interesting word, conscience. Have you ever read that in the New Testament? It's actually all over the place. I was talking to the youth group about it, and I'm like, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit in our life. Like our conscience, Jesus said it's like your eyes. You don't want to fog up your glasses, right? And I had these glasses at youth group, and I put butter on them, and I'm like, every time I sin, I put a little smudge of butter on there, right? And then pretty soon, I put my glasses on, but they're covered in butter, and I can't see anything. That's like a conscience, Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 4, that's been ruined, seared with a hot iron. So many will depart from the faith. Because their consciences are seared to what the truth is. And then they, they sin, but they don't confess, right? And they don't deal with it. So they start committed and they start compromising in, in sin and they end up in complete confusion. You ever seen that before? I don't know theology of some things. I just know, I've seen people's lives who start to mess around in sin that then they start to doubt the truth of who God is. You ever seen that before? And that's why the Bible says, don't do that. But it's interesting, Paul here says, keep a clear conscience, back to Acts chapter 24, but the same word here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Your conscience has to be good. And what it says in Acts 24, he's like, yeah, I believe in the way, but I strive to keep a good conscience with God and man. So here's Paul, I know what I believe, right? But I'm striving, and just think about walking with the Holy Spirit, to keep myself clean, doing the right thing. But when I mess up, confessing and repenting, right? 
that the Holy Spirit will continually be active in my life. What happens when we ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit? We get real confused real fast, right? That's what happens. But here's the the interesting thing. If we're striving and we're repenting and we're confessing and we're doing the right thing, when they go to accuse us, what's going to happen? They're not going to see anything. Right? So I had these glasses, and that was a good story, but you might be wondering what the mirror was, and I have to do this quickly because we're way over time already. But just imagine their glasses too. Look at some shaving cream here. This is sin, okay? Good smelling sin. It's just a deception. (laughs) No sin smells good. But this is like a part of your life. Say like this is your sexuality or this is pleasure seeking, right? Or this is lying or cheating or your family life, right? All these things. We have different compartments of our lives, right? Each of you has a different thing. I don't care if you're a teenager or an adult. You have different compartments. How I treat my friends, whether I gossip, slander, whether I talk about people, all these things. Oh, okay, uh, I'm doing, I'm, uh, I just, I don't really care anymore. And there's a person who really bugs me. And I'm like, oh, and I start telling people lies about them. And so it just kind of put a, a growing smudge on there, right? And all of a sudden we try and look through here. I can't see very well. Maybe you slip them pornography or you read some trash novel, right? Because we all can do that sometimes, seeking pleasure and, uh-oh, we put another kind of growing... It's growing. That's what sin does, right? It just grows. And all of a sudden, one of the windows in our lives, our conscience, it just can't... I, I can see through here. That's getting pretty ugly, isn't it? And it's growing. And it's growing. And that's what sin does in our life. And we're trying to be a witness, but then people, they come to us and be like, oh, you talk about God, but man, you talked about that person at work? Like, you're no better than the rest of us. Like, you got so mad at them, even people in the world don't get that mad. You didn't get that deal. You didn't get that promotion. You just acted like a real jerk, right? Or I can't believe there's someone with an alternative lifestyle and you just yelled at them. Or whatever it is, and oh yeah, let's just add something. You just, you just hate your husband and you don't even know why. They did something bad, but you can't, oh, 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 you can't forgive. That's a big one. That's like, whoa, can't forgive. That's, that's even worse. And pretty soon all the windows of our lives are just covered. And our conscience, it's not clear. It's just foamed up and we can't see what's true or not. And I thought of this window. It's not like the glasses. I can't see right. But the problem is, I want to show you with this, is not only can't I see out, but I want to explain with a window for you today, people can't see in. That's what he's saying. Other scripture says you can't see out. You're confused. But the problem is if you're a Christian, now what happens if your conscience is all messed up and you don't know what's right, people who want to see Jesus can't see in to see Christ. Because if I want to live in sin, it's okay, God will forgive me, but pretty soon the warning is, I want to know what's right, but then people who want to see Jesus, those who are persecuting you, they can't see in to your hope 
Because things are junked up. So your conscience not only has to be clear for yourself, but for your witness for people to see Jesus who lives in you. But if they can't get past the junk, they'll always think about the junk. Yeah, Pastor Dan, he's a nice guy, but whew, you ever seen him play soccer? That guy's an animal. And he just yells at people the whole time. And he, he's so mean. So we just got to get our paper towels. That's the Holy Spirit, right? We got to do some cleaning. And every day, every minute, you can go to the Lord. And what can you do and say, Holy Spirit, forgive me. Forgive me, Holy Spirit. I believe that you died for me. And what happens? God is so gracious and so good. What does He do? He cleans you right up. Not once. His one act continually cleans you. Amen? Amen. So He continually... Oh, this is good. He's getting us clean. I'm not going to get it perfectly clean. But do you understand? That's why Paul says, I strive not to be saved because God does all the work, but I strive to have a good conscience before God and man. And here, in persecution, if you want to be a witness in the midst of difficulty, you have to know who your enemy is. You have to know that Christ has conquered Satan and nothing to fear, right? You have to know your hope. You have to set apart God in the midst of the circumstance continually. And you have to keep a clear conscience all the time. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. Did I say you have to be perfect? No, I said you have to keep a clear conscience. God, would you examine my heart this morning? Have you ever prayed that? Psalm 139, God, would you examine my heart this morning? Hey, God, you haven't called me to examine someone else. Hello? Hello? We're expert judges on other people. Myself included at the top of the list. God has called you to take yourself to the court of law. To say, Lord, if there's anything in me, any wicked way, please deal with it and help me to conquer it. So I'm studying in the middle of the week. This message was funny. I started with conscience and I went everywhere else. But I just sat with the Lord. I said, God, is there wickedness in me that is preventing me from being your witness? a dark world. What about you? I had to send some texts. I had to do some apologizing. I had to do some asking for forgiveness. First of God and then someone else. What about you? Don't let the little foxes get in, right? Don't let the little foxes sneak in.
the little sins undetected to destroy what God wants to do in your life. You will be persecuted, right? But what are you going to do? See the opportunity or look at your own pain? Let's strive to keep our conscience clear, Holy Spirit, that we can be light and salt for you. Thank you, Lord, this day for your grace and your goodness. Thank you that you are so forgiving that you just wipe us clean continually. You've just got that rag out because of Jesus' blood and you're just continually cleansing us. Lord, some things are very difficult, but we pray that you would use us that you would use us to be ready to declare the hope that we have. This morning, maybe you're living in fear. Maybe that's the only thing that caught your ear, and that's fine. Maybe you're living in fear. God wants to set you free this morning of that spirit of fear. It is a spirit of fear. It is a spiritual battle And God wants to set you free this morning. It is not your battle to win. It is your battle to trust God in what he said. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe you haven't told your story. You'd be ready today. Maybe your conscience is mucked up. Just take a moment. Just ask the Lord, God, is there anything in me we prepare for communion. What a great thing. Examine my heart, Lord Jesus. My words, my actions. Is there anything I've done to anyone, said to anyone that isn't of you? Is there any attitude in my heart or anger that's not of you? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to seek you out this morning, to search you? Would you be honest enough Would you be willing enough? Holy Spirit, just work in this moment. Just give a few seconds. Just pause. give it to the Lord, whatever it is. And take communion. And if there's something that you know you need to confess, there'll be brothers and sisters at the back. You don't even have to say what it is. Just say, I just need forgiveness. I just, I just need to confess that my heart wasn't right. You can be clear today. You can start with a clear conscience because the Holy Spirit has forgiven you. He loves you. And it's just claiming that forgiveness and living in that forgiveness. We're going to take communion and celebrate everything that God has done. We're going to worship Him. 
Because after we've examined ourselves, we need to examine Jesus and realize that we're clean. But we got to get the junk out. We want to see out and we want people to see in. We want them to see Jesus. We want our world changed because He is amazing and He gives us hope and He is alive and we're going to heaven. Elements are in the back. Please just enjoy. Prayerfully, just call out to Jesus this morning. Let's worship Him.